Hail and well-met, Traveler. Welcome to the Tavern. Did you know this is the place where more than half of the greatest adventures in history have begun? But before those adventurers took their first steps, they watched and calculated who would join their party. Why, look over there. There's a mighty barbarian from the Frozen Lands. Strong, mighty, full of honor and wisdom. I happen to know that one. They go by Matt Rossi. And look over there to the right. That woman working away on her mechanical dog. She's cunning, witty, and I've seen her bounce more than her fair share of ne'er-do-wells out of here before I can even blink. I happen to know that she goes by the name Liz Harper. And me? Oh, my name's Joe Perez. And I'll be your tavern keeper. Welcome to Tavern Watch. Hello and welcome to Tavern Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about, well, I guess tabletop RPGs and everything else that we can think of that fits under this banner. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Joe Perez, and with me are my stupendous co-hosts. Uh, we're going to start with Liz Harper. How are you doing today, Liz? Uh, doing good. Doing good. Wish we were playing D&D, but, you know, can't do it all the time. That's very true. Uh, also, as usual, is our resident barbarian, uh, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Uh, I'm just getting ready for you to kill everybody in the next session of our game. Yeah, I would like to talk <laughs> about that. Yeah, so uh, I figure we're gonna we're actually gonna be talking about that because, well, it is <laughs> it is a thing that happened. Uh, we're gonna go through some news items though, real quick, before we go ahead and get into this week's uh, uh, other topics. Uh, and I guess we're gonna start. Liz, you actually reminded me about the Radiant Citadel, the Journeys to the Radiant Citadel. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, Journeys to the Radiant Citadel is the newest Wizards of the Coast book. It is due out, I believe, in June. And uh, it's a collection of stories. It's a story anthology. And the interesting thing, there are a few interesting things, but one of them is it's all written by people of color, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. It's the whole book. It's the first time uh, Wizards of the Coast has done this. And um, part of the reason, I think, I'm maybe ascribing a little too much here, but part of the reason I think they're doing this is that the Radiant Citadel is this new location kind of out in the multiverse. And it allows travel to like anywhere. And it allows people with, by, by bringing in a diverse set of writers, it allows people with different perspectives to go out and just create whatever new worlds they want without being tied to existing lore or mythology. And so if you get diverse creators in from day one to build out new places, you can get much more interesting places, a much greater variety of places because you're bringing in all of these new perspectives. So I think this book is going to be really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Matt, you actually wrote the post about what the Radiant Citadel is. And I believe in the post you said that this setting was basically your kryptonite. Well, I mean, it is a giant diamond that is wrapped, that, that the diamond is itself psychoactive in the ethereal plane, and the diamond is wrapped in the corpse of an enormous deceased fossil. There's a giant fossilized something mm -hmm. that the city is built out of. I'm like, okay, um, 
what what's what else you gonna you is is the place the mayor a dinosaur i mean where are you going with this <laughs> theoretically so, yeah. possible that is a race that exists now oh yeah quite a few um so yeah i i, I also i gotta say one of the things that's interesting about it i i don't mean to contradict you but it's actually one of the things i find most interesting is that it is not a portal to anywhere Correct. Okay. It's a it's, portal to very specific other places. There's a limited number of them. Because it's on the but, ethereal plane, right? It's not the astral. Yeah. yeah. But the other cool thing is that if you are stranded in the deep ethereal, which can happen if you're doing ethereal travel, this place acts like a beacon. Mm-hmm. It calls things to it. And that's cool as well. And they've got this, the limited but substantial number of peoples that have come to this place and colonized on it and settled it means that you have this kind of polyglot um, character to the place. It's not uniform. There's no, like there's no people who feel like they're in charge of it. And I like, I mean, there is a, there's a governing group and all that, but, but you don't, you can't like look at this, this race or this culture and say they're in charge. There's a wide like quilt of, of cultures all kind of meeting and, and mixing around the edges here, which I also thought was really cool. Um, and I like their idea of there's connections between the Radiant Citadel and the places in the adventure. Mm-hmm. Like each of the places in the adventure is like kind well, of like adventures, the home. plural. They're all standalone. Yeah. Yeah. Each of the places in the adventures, um, they're either like places where the peoples from the Citadel originally came from or their places they discovered since. And so you can, it, it is really, it, it's an interesting approach to the idea of a planar nexus. They've done planar nexi before. Um, the, the, you know, we, we've, we always talk about um, sigil, the city of doors. Yeah. Uh, but this is, it's a different way to do it in a different location and a different philosophy towards it, which I find really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they've actually come up with. So. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with Liz on the concept of it. It being cool that it's got a lot of different diverse people who have bring their own cultural and, you know, natural viewpoints to it to, to give it a different feel. Uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely excited about that. I'm super excited for that part of it, too. I thought it was an interesting choice to create something brand new instead of being shackled to Sigil. Uh, which I think is what a lot of people kind of expected. That was a lot of the hubbub I was hearing around the announcement is that like initially uh, it was why isn't it sigil? But then when you start going through it, it's, it doesn't have the baggage. It doesn't have, I mean, sigil was created what 50 years ago, give or take. No, no, not that long ago. No, uh, more like 30, which was is it, still a long was time it the nineties. It was the nineties. Well, like, maybe late eighties, but okay. But it, it's been it's a big while. Push was nineties. It's been thirty years, so yeah. Yeah, it's been yeah, a while. You just said y'all. Are, y'all are just saying the nineties was thirty years ago, and it's just like wow. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, I'm, I'm so old. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we all feel the same way because if you're a certain age, you feel like the nineties were basically yesterday, and yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I just bought a whole bunch of brand new, still sealed in box, original Dungeons and Dragons boxed adventures uh, <laughs> at the shop today. And I thought immediately of Matt. Uh, but some of the stats on the the book that'll be coming out, I believe it's releasing at the uh, middle of June. I want to say third week of June. Uh, I believe there's 13 standalone adventures that range from levels one to 14. Each one comes with its own set of maps, which that's also pretty big. Uh, it does have the whole thing with the Radiant Citadel, which is that brand new location on the ethereal plane. 
each adventure can be set in any existing D campaign setting uh, or on worlds of your own design, which is something that they really are pushing for this as well. There are 11 new D&D monsters that will be introduced in this book. And there's a story for every adventuring party uh, contained inside of here. They wanted to make sure that the the breadth of uh, adventures available was everything from whimsical to uh, dark and foreboding and, and the entire gamut in between, which is really, really good, uh, especially when you consider the last time they did an anthology-ish like this was uh, Candlekeep. And there was some problems with Candlekeep, I guess we'll say. Uh, some questions on some of the content that was curated for it, uh, attributions and things like that. This one, this seems like they're being much, much more careful about, and I think it's it's good. So anything else to add about that one, folks? No, I'm just looking forward to seeing it. Uh, along that same line, something was launched that I wanted to bring up real quick. Uh, did either of you folks uh, happen to know what Dungeon Alchemist is? I've heard of it, but that's about it. Okay. So Dungeon Alchemist is a, a way of trying to leverage technology to create uh, quickly and easily more diverse and detailed maps. Uh, it is in early access right now, uh, and it is, I believe it comes in at the price point of 50 US dollars uh, at the time of this recording. But the idea is that not only will you, you can le- create maps however you want, you can leverage uh, AI as well. So you can give it a set of parameters uh, if you're somebody who just does not like sitting down and making maps and you can tell it, I need a 30 by 30 room and it needs to be in a steampunk style and it's a mad scientist lab. You toggle this, you hit generate and it creates it for you uh, and it gives you layout and then you can change everything in between. The interesting thing for me with this one is it is a 2.5D software, so it has some 3D elements to it when you're creating it, that can be converted into a full 3D render if you happen to be a 3D printer. It can be converted into a full 2D render so that everything flattens out for printing. And it also integrates with all of the major virtual tabletop systems out there so that you can literally import it. One of the things we've been talking about with the uh, previously and amongst ourselves is Roll20 is a bear to set up sometimes, especially if you want to do things like dynamic lighting or fog of war uh, and you're trying to play that way. This takes care of all that for you as well, where you set the parameters, you export it, and it goes right into your campaign uh, and it sets all those variables for you. So you do not have to set them up yourself through the Roll20 interface. And it does the same thing with, uh, what is it? Uh, Fantasy Grounds, and uh, there's another VTT it works with, and I can't remember off the top of my head. It's an interesting concept, I think. And I just wanted to kind of bring it up because it's something I've personally been looking for. I like building maps, but I also like the idea of not having to deal with Roll20. Um, so what do you guys think of that, like leveraging, leveraging technology to sort of assist with that type of stuff? Start with Matt. He was quiet on the last one. Yeah, I, I don't see a problem. Roll20 is a bear, uh, and I don't. I don't want to feel like I'm picking on roll 20. Like sometimes people are like, Oh, you're just so down on roll 20. I'm not, I use it all the time. Uh, it doesn't have the most intuitive user interface. Uh, it's, it's a lot of stuff you want to do. There's nothing that tells you how to do it unless you like, you know, they have a fact, but that's not always really a helpful, you know? And so I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like barring, an improvement to that system. This is a good thing to do. I mean, I, I'm generally happy for it, uh, but I, I am waiting to see exactly how it rolls out. I'm sorry. I'm having a bit of a trouble here swallowing. 
Ah, that, that's unfortunate. I mean, if you guys remember from the last session I ran, uh, which was like I think about a week ago now, or maybe two weeks ago. Last week, I don't yeah. Remember, yeah. Um, I used a bunch of of maps that I've had in one of my really old adventures I have lying around here, the ones that that Joe thinks of me when he buys. Um, <laughs> and Roll Twenty was doing some really weird things with map size. I don't know if you guys noticed. Yes. Like some of the tunnels were like really huge and sometimes they were really small. And it was like your character por- portraits were all shrunk down to try to make them fit in there. And yeah, it was, it was odd. So I, I wouldn't be amiss to an AI coming along and saying, Oh no, no, I got this. I got this. So yeah, well, well I'm, I think it's a good, it's a good motion. All right. Liz, what do you think is a newer, uh, a newer DM? Well, see most of the time I'm using pre-published maps, which big help because I see people who make maps who like do this for fun. And this is a big job to make a map. It's a huge thing to make a detailed map that shows everything you need to show. And I mean, some people, you can also just do a map on like graph paper, but then you see things like look at Critical Role is a really good example where you have Matt Mercer doing these hugely detailed model environments. So it's like, Maps can go really simple with just like a grid paper and you draw out lines. You can do that. But maps can also be wildly complicated and creating a good map uh, takes time and effort. So if we can get a system where you can create good, interesting, usable maps in less time, and maybe if you aren't, you know, you don't have that graphic design flair, you don't have an artistic flair, you're just... You're not that kind of person because not everyone has that sort of skill set. But you can still make your own custom maps that fit exactly what you need to do. So you don't have to go and search for something that you can shoehorn in that works. You can make exactly what you want, but you don't need to have all of these skills and you don't necessarily need to have all of that time. So absolutely, it seems like a great tool for DMs. Yeah, and there's a lot of other ones that are starting to to come up now, too. Uh, I think uh, Joe Manganiello uh, is literally launching a Kickstarter. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I think I literally saw it this morning as I was going through emails for solicitation uh, that, like, it's literally launching this week uh, for his version of it. And there's other ones out there as well. Uh, I really hope to see this trend sort of continue Matt and I talked about this a while ago, and and I'll bring it up. Way back when, there used to be, uh, and when D&D 3rd Edition was out, the cartographer's tools that you used to get with the player's handbook. And it used to be a CD that you could run to do basically this, except it didn't integrate with the online uh, play style. So I'm, I'm excited to see, I think we called it out in, our I think, our very first episode of, of Tavern Watch. Like, we would love to see software like that start to come back, and now we're starting to see it start to come back i think it's a good it's an unfortunate thing that the pandemic happened but stuff like this is resulting from people being home and wanting to play online more which sort of feeds into this so it's it's good we're going to start to see more of it i think so uh one thing i wanted to bring up next was there was an interview recently with uh jeremy crawford he's the lead rules designer for dungeons and dragons uh and it's talking about the new evolution uh, heading in to the next coming years. I believe there's supposed to be a, another version of D and D or an update to it coming out. I think it's targeted for 2024. Yeah. Uh, that we knew Yeah, that, that we knew. 
uh, but they're looking specifically at some things that I think we've talked about individually, at least offline, uh, but online things like backgrounds, how they affect characters, feats, and how stacking the two of them can create some very uh, imbalanced characters, but also can kind of run the character itself. Did did either of you folks read through this or? or uh, I mean, I've heard him talk about it before. Do you want to do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that or or Liz? Well, it's they've they've been they've been doing those. Uh, if you look at the oh bloody heck, uh, the unearthed arcanas they've been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Korean one in particular, they started doing backgrounds that actually hook into feats, like that 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 either lead you towards you know this feat at this level sort of thing, or otherwise are like the um the ones that they have in there are the Knight of Salamnia. I think it's Salamnia. I can never know how to pronounce that. And the uh, the the image of high sorcery, those are the two backgrounds they have, and they're they're like I said, they're like modular. They they you know they guide you down a path of you know at this level take this feat sort of thing. Um, so I thought that was interesting, and it it kind of connects up to what he's talking about. I don't I feel a little bit like if anything, fifth edition is too restrictive okay. on this kind of stuff. Um, so it, I'm a little disheartened. To hear Crawford saying this stuff, like it feels like they're going to make it even more restrictive than it already is, and I don't like that direction. Uh, but I do understand, you know, what he's talking about. I do get the basic gist of it. Liz, well, I didn't get the impression that he's talking about more restrictions or like locking players into feats, but like giving players more options because, like, Strixhaven is one that did this as well because. Uh, if you haven't heard of Strixhaven, it's a magical school set on a, it's from a Magic the Gathering world, mm-hmm. and it's this big magical university, and it has every magic school trope you can possibly think of. It's in this adventure. and uh, But one of the things it has is it has some backgrounds that are like um, initiates to the different colleges mm-hmm. that uh, that Strixhaven has, and each one has a feat that... Uh, gives you some really cool stuff, gives you access to spells, really powerful things. That anybody can take, anybody, any class. Yeah, yeah, you could be a fighter and take one of these because you're a fighter, but you've been studying to go to Strixhaven and you're, you know, ready. So I think it's interesting because it is this thing that's class agnostic that you can decide to go down this path and pick something that customizes your character in a specific direction. Um, And they've talked about feats that are like one feat and you have to have the first feat to get the second feat, which I believe there was some of that in the Unearthed Arcana Matt mentioned. That's And and that's a carryover uh, from, I think, older editions to, I think, third edition mm -hmm. did that, didn't it, Matt? I mean, it's certainly Prerequisite feats. It's not new to D&D, yeah, absolutely. Although the way they did it in third edition is very different, so. Sorry, please continue, Liz. Um... I don't know how I feel about like stacking feats in that way, but it's interesting. It's an interesting thing story-wise because if you take the first feat and then next you take the second feat, that indicates a specific progression path for your character, a narrative progression path or a power growth for your character that is separate from their class. So I do feel like this can make some interesting stories because... You can customize your character and you're no longer like tied to a class. Even if you multi-class, you have a kind of a limited set of directions you can go. 
And the feats they've added so far that are tied to backgrounds or that are tied to additional feats feel like they're building a narrative for your character. And they do have a lot of power tied to them, but they're creating a narrative direction for your character to go down. So if you're one of those power gamers and you're trying to design the most powerful character possible, you're probably going to look at these feats. But also, I think for the average gamer, they're just, they can send you in specific story directions, which could be interesting. And they let you build different kinds of characters, which could be interesting. Uh, My biggest complaint with it is that the new backgrounds make the old backgrounds seem pretty wimpy. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That is true. I'm a full-time hero. I can get free lodging. All right. I (laughs) I, I took this feat. I get like 10 spells. Yeah, totally, totally fair. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So it feels like now that they've introduced the new feats, the new feats are really cool. They give you really interesting stuff. But now the old, like the old stuff feels a little weaker, Uh, particularly in the background department, because backgrounds are typically... They're just a little starting point. They give you maybe a piece of equipment. They give you some uh, skill proficiencies. But you've got some backgrounds now that give you access to spells that give you really awesome combat things. And uh, yeah, I think if they're going to keep doing this, they need to go back and look at the existing ones. And that may not be something that happens for a while. I don't know. Yeah, probably won't be until 2024. Well, I mean, yeah, it seems- the other thing that keep inside is like fifth edition has been out for a while now. Yeah, about yeah. 10, it'll be 10 years in 2020. Yeah, and and it was coming at the heels of uh, Pathfinder launching, 4th edition uh, being very powerful uh, for players, and sort of like, so it's not surprising that backgrounds were a little weak from back then. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I hope that they go back and take a look at it and maybe redo uh, some of the older ones, or at least try to make them more interesting. And this is one thing I just want to, to to add in there is regardless of what happens with backgrounds or what the rulings are, again, ha- make sure you're having that session zero conversation with your players so that all of you are on the same page. Because even if the rules say that you have to do it a certain way, you don't have to do it a certain way. You can decide what you guys are comfortable or you folks are comfortable with among yourselves. Uh, so if you want to stack feats and become super powerful, that's great. Just make sure the people you are playing with are on the same page. I think, think there was some backlash that they might also be responding to from some of the organized play from the adventurers league um which if you don't know what the adventurers league is it's you create a character the character is registered with the league and you can go to any game that is an adventurers league game any of the seasons and take the character with you and continue through and level it up through uh multiple games different dms and different settings depending on what the season is and I know that there was a complaint leveraged with some of the feet stacking and background stacking for that, uh, where players would just show up with a completely stacked character. But again, you at the table are in control of what you do. So never forget that. Just just have the conversation. <laughs> um, go ahead. That's actually a little bit that Jeremy Crawford mentioned in this interview, talking about how he didn't like it when players like rule lawyer other players and mm-hmm. argue about this isn't how it's in the book. Because this should be about having fun. And sometimes having fun is being flexible. And sometimes that means at the table, you decide what your party wants to do and you go that direction, whether it's in the rule book or not, whether it's something you read in Sage Advice or something totally different that you made up. So in the end, it's about fun. It's about 
creativity. It's about telling stories with your friends. Well, yeah. And- I mean, if you look at um, just using our campaign as an example, your character, mm-hmm. um, you're using the dragon. Uh, was it the drink? drink warden. Yeah. yeah you, but we're letting you say that your your pet is a dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a baby An actual dragon. dragon and yeah. not, not just some drink. It, well, it's supposed to be like a dragon spirit that you summon, not a yeah. physical, actual dragon. And we yeah, decided we're just, fun rules. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of big. <laughs> There's it. nothing about it that really actually changes anything. We're still using all the mechanical stuff. Yeah. It's just a lore thing. I mean, for that matter, Joe and I are playing technically the same character, mm-hmm. but it ha- you know, it's got a rotating soul, which is not, you know, your typical Warforge, but so what? It, it, it people people get really hung up on this kind of stuff and it's like this is a game yep. and it's a game where you make stuff up uh the rules are there to help you make stuff up and not to stop you from making stuff up um so i i, I think it's just generally speaking it, it, it this is a thing people get too focused on all right i agree uh so again remember have that conversation with your players whether you're the dm or a player everybody should sit down and talk a couple other news items before we go into uh our this week's topic and some questions please mention the pathfinder thing now i absolutely am matt would you like to go ahead yeah basically um even if you don't like the pathfinder or pathfinder 2 rule set it's fair to say that paizo makes some of the best adventure paths around Mm-hmm. And what they've been doing since they started as a company back when they were originally Paizo existed to be the, the, the magazine company back in like 2000, uh, when, when wizards of the coast decided they didn't want to be involved in, in, in handling the pen and paper stuff anymore. Paizo bought the license from them and began publishing dragon and dungeon magazines, uh, the magazines that were for years, the, the main way that players got new adventures, uh, dungeon was constantly filled with new adventures. You could submit them and players would, you know, you could pick it up every month and there'd be some new adventures in it. And you could run them. Uh, when wizards decided, okay, we're going to the fourth edition and we're not going to, we just don't even want to have these exist anymore. So we're, we're going to, you know, the contract is over. We're not going to renew it. Paizo was like, okay, well we started our, this company on this idea. We're going to keep doing it, uh, but we're going to, you know, we're going to do it differently for a while they were just releasing them for third edition but then they were like okay third edition's got some pretty like weird rule stuff and the the reason pathfinder as a game exists is because paizo decided they wanted to have their own rule system for the adventures they were running so they they did an updated version like you people have called it 3.75 uh the pathfinder first edition is basically just third edition D&D with some fixes um now of course pathfinder 2 is a completely different game it's very different um, but it's still basically recognizable. Like if you look at it, you can, you're like, oh, this is like D&D's cousin. That's really different. But they, yeah, I can see the, the the resemblance. But all this time since then, they've been putting out adventure paths and they've been putting them out at a much higher clip than Wizards has been putting out adventures. Um, it's, it's actually, it's when you were talking about the Radiant Citadel and you were talking about uh, the Candlekeep book, they're like, the way they do it is they have different, adventures within like kind of a i i don't know how you'd call it like not within a connected strand of narrative but they're like they all have a theme like you know we, we go to the radiant citadel and we explore these other worlds or we go to Candlekeep and these things happen and we have to deal with it but because we're a party of complete weirdos we're going to do it completely differently than the book says <laughs> um slight slight uh 
you know, reference to the Candlekeep game that, that Liz was running and hopefully will run again someday. Um, one of the examples I have, I actually have it on my shelf, is the complete collection of Rise of the Rune Lords, which is an amazing multi-path adventure. It's, it harkens back to stuff like Temple of Elemental Evil or um, the uh, Slavers campaign or the Vault of the Drow stuff. It, it's very much that kind of very long story that, that takes your character from like first level to like like very close to max level. And now they're going to be putting these modules out, these adventure paths out for fifth edition. They're going to do, you know, conversions. They're basically going to release the exact same adventure, except it's going to be for fifth edition. I think that's amazing. The first, they've got one that they're doing right now. Um, the, the first one they're going to do, I believe it's called the, the abomination one. Uh, yeah, Abomination Vaults, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Um, I'm hoping eventually they'll do uh, some of the older ones. But right now, they, they're working on this one, and then they're going to have other ones. Apparently, they're going to have them either in like the, the pre-order is for October 2022, and they're going to possibly have it out in November of 2022. That's when the uh, actual adventure path will be available. It seems like they're doing them in collections. They're not doing it. It's not the way adventure paths release over at Paizo is they release individual chapters as like, kind of like modules. And then each module, you know, takes your characters a little further along the story. It looks to be, they're just the fifth edition versions are just going to be like a collection of the whole thing. So I don't know. Like that could be kind of expensive. Like, I don't know. Like, well, though Paizo, I'll give Paizo credit. They do a lot of stuff in PDF. They do actually. And, and, and their PDFs are generally ch- significantly cheaper than their paper books. They also are one of the few companies that offer soft cover versions of their books. Uh, this is mm-hmm. something I've recently learned through my new career path. Um, certain companies do not offer soft cover editions, but like Paizo is one of them. Uh, Pinnacle is the other. Um, they offer smaller, soft cover versions of their books. Cobalt Press as well. So they might they might do something along that to, to also if somebody wants the physical book to keep the price down. I would be happy if they did that. Yeah. Personally. But it is. I I know some people thought this meant that Paizo was like, oh, Pathfinder Two is we're giving up on it and we're just going to go straight to Fifth uh, Edition. This this is not the case. Uh, they're still going to keep everything in their in their own system. They're just you know. There's no Let's reason be not front. to. There's people right now playing fifth edition who are greedy for more published adventures. Mm-hmm. And you've got all these published adventures that they, you don't want them to have to convert because they don't want to do it. I mean, for the average, the average DM, it's not that you can't do the conversion. It's that the time element is pretty significant. Like, I think everyone at this, you know, everyone, I want to say everyone at this table, we're not actually at the table, you know, but I think <laughs> everyone, here can, yeah, everyone here can attest that, you know, getting the game set up, uh, getting everybody herded into a day that they're willing to come play on, uh, getting your, doing your own prep work. So you're ready for the, the session. That's already a lot of work. Having to sit down and try and convert, you know, even from relatively close cousins, it's, it's a difficult thing. Like you can't just run a, a Pathfinder monster in a fifth edition, they have a different rules for combat. So I think it's a good move on their part to get to, to basically step into that void for lack of a better word and say, look, uh, you, you know, you've got a, a campaign that's, that needs more stuff. Here's more stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm personally think it's a good move. I, I think it's a good idea. 
um, it, 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 it's also really important because one of the, one of the things I've also noticed, um, now that I am a, a level one shopkeep NPC, uh, is that one of the most frequently asked questions for people who are just starting in running tabletop RPGs is, is there an adventure that I can just buy and run to get my feet wet and always having more options is good. And Paizo's uh, adventure paths are good. They they are really well thought out from a running perspective. They give you all of the notes that you need in order to do it effectively. And they give you the leeway to add or subtract as you need to. I will always give them credit for that. And so like yep. more options is good because I can go, here you go. Here's something that you can run from level one to level six. Have fun. That's that's a win in my book, too, because it, it does something that we talk about a lot, which is continuing to make the hobby more accessible. I'm mm-hmm. all for it. Yeah, Paizo, I mean, every game company out there has its problems, and Paizo has had its problems. Um, but I will say this, that they've done a really good job of getting a, no- a lot of different people to write adventures. So there's a lot of different feel to the, the, the various adventures. So I'm looking forward to seeing... You know, I, I front out, um, I want them to do Rise of the Rune Lords mm-hmm. for this, because I'd love to put you guys through some of that, um, just to watch what you do. I, I, I no, no campaign ever completely understands what its players will do until they do it. And that's one of the <laughs> things I'd love to see. But yeah, I guess that's it. That's all I've got to say on that. Liz, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, no. Well, okay, Yes. I think part of this has to be about, because D&D is so popular, D&D has such a large audience, and Paizo is not a big company, it makes a lot of sense for them to convert their adventures to 5th fi- to edition and publish them there, because there are people out there who don't even know what Paizo is, the people who have gotten into D&D because of all of these live streams that are really mm-hmm. popular right now, mm-hmm. and they've never heard of Paizo. So by putting out adventures that are accessible to these people, uh, Paizo kind of continues its own success. And that's a good thing because we need different people out there. We need different companies and different types of people creating adventures. It should be pointed out, too, that Pathfinder slash Paizo is the only union shop amongst the bigger game companies right now. Yep. So, yeah, it's... It's a good thing for all of tabletop for more people to be creating tabletop content and enjoying tabletop content. And by bringing this over to 5th edition, they're bringing it to more people. And that's just, that's a good thing for everybody. Agreed. Speaking of other content that's released, uh, we're just going to mention this real quickly before we move on. Uh, If you are a fan of Critical Role uh, and you have been following the books that have been releasing as official WotC products, Call of the Netherdeep has recently released in the last couple weeks and is available for purchase. It does follow the campaign that was set in that same uh, that same setting. So you can relive or create your own adventures uh, as you see fit. Uh, not really much else to add to it, unless either of you have anything you want to add. Sorry. Well, I will. Laudna's really will. cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I like. I really love what they're doing with their characters this this uh, campaign, which is not this adventure is not the campaign they're currently doing, but it's in the same. It's on the same continent, so I, I that's all I got. Liz, well, I'll point out one thing that's kind of interesting that they've done here is like you know every D and D group is like an adventuring party and you're going out there, you're having your adventures, you're making your own stories. And one of the things called the Nether Deep has is it has like 
a rival adventuring party that is kind of you could you could make it as an antagonist or you could make it where you're friends with them and kind of this party has some of the same goals the adventure sets you on and you kind of have these npcs that are competing with you throughout and how you interact with those npcs will develop relationships in different ways and matt mercer talked about it like think of this think of the these npcs as like your player character you can, you know, while the players are out having their adventures, you can think about what they're doing. And when they show up, you're, you know, you are playing these characters like they're just kind of rival adventurers. And that's kind of an interesting concept. And it's also something that uh, Strixhaven does because it has this whole cast of students that are at mm-hmm, school mm-hmm. with you doing all sorts of things while you're doing your usual everyday things. And you can become totally best friends with them or you can become their worst enemy and different things happen in the game depending on whether your friends are rivals and i think that's a really interesting system to kind of build into the adventure a dm could always do that themselves and just say okay there's this npc and your friends are you know you could do that yourself anytime any game but it's interesting to see this built in and the idea that they're building in not just, you know, combat encounters and puzzles and dungeons, but the idea that D&D is about relationships and interactions between characters. And I think that's really cool. And it's good to see it officially added to these big official books from Wizards of the Coast. Agreed. Now, we are not official and we are not sponsored by Wizards of the Coast. I mean, if you want to, we can always talk. Uh <laughs> But we have been playing a brand new campaign over on our our uh, live play sessions where Matt and I are co-DMing uh, and we are swapping back and forth between characters like we mentioned a little bit earlier where we are multiple souls that exist in one body. It has been, a, I think, a riot so far, especially when Matt oh and I boy. argue with each other oh in boy. character. It's great. Um, so, Matt, why don't, you, why don't you take us through what recently happened? Um, nothing really all that important. Uh, the players won a house as one of their rewards for, fi- you know, foiling a evil cult and bringing a powerful magical uh, relic to a goblin alchemist who's going to make something really cool with it. Uh, she had a house laying around that she'd been given because she did a job for a member of high society in the the Weirs, the town that they're in. Um, that didn't need it anymore. And in fact, was not even using it. They, it was, it was given to this person to service their official residence, but the person was like, it's a dump. Uh, it's a very nice fancy dump, but I want to live in a, I want to live in the center of town. I want to be like over there. So they, they basically pawned it off on the alchemist. The alchemist then pawned it off on the party and the party went out to the house and found out it was infested with kobolds pretending to be ghosts. Um, (laughs) after a brief, uh, conflict with said said ghost kobolds it turned out they were actually pirates so they were pirate ghost kobolds this is the Um, best scooby-doo episode ever yeah uh the the party managed to ah kind of semi-accidentally semi-deliberately kill the uh captain the head of the whole group but then bring him back from the dead and had a brief convo with said person about what was going on and that that that, an, that evil cult from the very first adventure that they you know went in and foiled and stole their magical artifact was in fact forcing these kobolds into doing their bidding. So 
the session we just ran was the party, you know, invading the cult's sanctum underground and finding out that it's it's a weird place with like multiple strange uh, fell creatures seem to be running different aspects of it. Uh, there was one fight at the beginning that was with like a, a minotaur monster of some sort. And then later on, they get into a fight with three brain monsters that seem to be able to pop in and out of people's bodies. Uh, they, they dealt with two of them, but one of them got away. However, one of the things they found was that there's all sorts of stuff from other planes of existence in the, uh, in this dungeon, including some magical artifacts, some very powerful magical artifacts. Although I should also <laughs> mention they found, in addition to the magical artifacts, they found something like 17,000 gold pieces value of gold. I, like, I have a question about 17,000 gold pieces. Can we even carry 17,000 gold pieces? This is a lot of gold pieces. This, yes. Well, it's not actually, <laughs> it's not actually in gold piece form entirely. Like some of it's gold, like gold pieces. Although some of those gold pieces look really weird to you guys. Like you, you don't know what, what, like is, <laughs> why, why is this thing triangular? Um, but some of it's just straight up like gold stuff or like gold and precious gems stuff. Like it is, that's the value of it. It's not the literally yeah, 17,000 yeah. pieces of gold because it, it would though. be quite heavy. Um, so yeah, there is an issue of whether or not you can transport it. Um, but yeah, that that's, that's true. But yeah, in addition, there was a rod of lordly might uh, that was identified last week, which is if you guys have never seen the rod of lordly might, it's actually a fun magical item and it's got a lot of uses. It's a very powerful item. It can also be used as a weapon. Yep. It's essentially a mace. Several different weapons actually. Yeah. Yeah, as you use the buttons. Um, but unfortunately for the rod, it, anywhere else it would be the most impressive magical item that had dropped. Unfortunately, there's also a deck of, of cards. <laughs> yeah. oh boy. Um, the, uh, there's two different kinds of deck of many things. There's the, the smaller deck, and then there's the full deck. And this is apparently a full deck from the deck of many things. It's got all 22 cards. Except one of them has been used. Uh, so uh, for context, when this was happening, I wasn't feeling well, so I wasn't actually present. I was just doing the recording. So if you go back and listen, I'm not there. Uh, Matt's piloting my character, which makes sense. since we're... And Liz was actually doing that. All right, Liz was, uh, Liz was yeah, doing the mechanical to, stuff. Excuse me. To, to various levels of success. But I didn't get you killed, so... I think that's a success? huge success. Yeah. 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 But I had I come... I was gonna say I had I come. I did walk you. I did walk you straight into a trap. But yeah, it worked fine. out in the end. That's fine. I'm not dead. It's fine. Uh, but I, I, <laughs> I came back to check on the recording to make sure everything was still going, and it was at the point where the deck had been identified, and I was trying so hard not to like laugh and ruin the flow, but I just gave Matt like a slow clap at the end of it. Uh, and then I think Liz, uh, your response was probably my favorite thing ever. Once you realize what it was, uh, which was, uh, you started rolling up a new character. <laughs> oh yeah. I am. I am ready. Uh, should we, I mean, the, the deck of many things is, is one of those items that is either loved or hated. I actually wrote an article about it, uh, on the site mm -hmm. a long time ago. Um, yeah, I, I remembered. I, I know you so did. Can, can someone explain what the deck of many things is for anyone um, in the audience who is not yeah. familiar. I was actually just getting that. Uh, so the deck of many things being a magical deck of cards is something that your player can, or as a player, you can declare that your character is going to draw X number of cards. You have to draw that many cards and it's almost like a tarot deck. 
Each card has a very specific effect. Some of these things are beneficial. Some of these things are less than ideal. Uh, some of them will instantaneously kill your character. Um, and some of them will be, depending on which card was what you draw, you can have the ultimate one, which is the wish spell. It is one of the only ways in the current 5e setup to actually have potential access to the wish spell. Uh, it is absolutely insane. Some of the, some of the effects are you draw a card, an avatar of death spawns, not death itself, an avatar of death. You have to one V one death. Um, and if you die, well, sorry. Yeah. You, you, you're, you're done. Uh, or you could draw a card that if you take out the next, uh, opponent or next thing solo, doesn't matter what it is, but if nobody helps you, you instantaneously get a level up. Uh, or you instantaneously become the owner of a keep that you have knowledge it exists, maybe not necessarily where, but you are the lord of that keep now. Uh, or you could have your soul ripped out of your body and shoved away in a container uh, and play somewhere else that you need to be rescued. And yeah, there's a lot of wacky and weird things. It is unpredictable. Uh, and it has been the the bane of players and DMs for a very long time. I personally love it because I love chaos. Uh, I think it is a great storytelling aspect when it comes to this stuff. Uh, but everybody can draw those cards. And the interesting thing is when you declare, like, let's say you say you were going to draw three. You have to draw three uh, cards. You draw the first one. You have to draw the next one within an hour. If you don't, every card you have left, so the other two draw themselves and the effects take place instantaneously. Uh, if you say that you're going to draw 20 cards and you draw one and don't draw the others, all 19 other cards draw themselves and all 19 effects take control. It's, it's a weird form of gambling in game and I kind of love it. So, yeah, I, I think I did that quick and justice. That's like a quick and dirty yeah. version of it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> enough to, for people to understand how bad it can be. Um, and Matt knows that this is dangerous because my character is immediately going to draw cards. His character is holding the deck. Yeah. And, and I haven't told like, him. you don't understand. You don't understand. I'm like, oh, I understand, Joe. Yeah. This is. I this. understand full well what I have done. And then Liz, <laughs> Liz was like, what are you going to do if you just die? Like your soul getting ripped from your body. I'm like, I'm already a soul that doesn't have a body. It's fine. I'll just spin up another soul. It'll be not a big deal. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, it is. It is. The, it was intended to be the end of my current run as DM, but unfortunately, due to you know the fact that it's a, it is a bit of a dungeon crawl, it took longer to get through than I was hoping. I'm hoping that the next session will be that will basically be the denouement of all this, and then the next time we run, Joe will be running and I will be playing, and so he'll get to have to clean up whatever I did. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there's that too. It's a parting gift. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm also interested to see if anybody else in the party is going to draw it. I think Anne will, because Anne seems to be a chaos demon as well, and I'm kind of here for it. I don't know if you will, Liz. I, you seem kind of on the fence about it. Uh, no. I mean, I don't think I, myself, enjoy chaos, and I enjoy the idea that a roll of the dice can just really do anything, can do something really good. I love this idea. Uh, my character does not love this idea. Yeah, your character um, your character is in charge of a little baby dragon. <laughs> yes, that too. I mean, and I this is an older character. This character has high wisdom and I think she's very deliberate in her actions. 
So I think she's not going to like anything about this. Nothing. Uh, so we'll see if you like draw a card and do something terrible before before anyone can do anything, which I kind of feel is maybe the way you're leading. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We're going to yeah. find out. We're going to find out. Um, so be sure that uh, you watch our socials. We'll post when the next game is going to be because uh, we are going to be doing it live, uh, which means you get to be there for all of the chaos that will ensue when uh, Delver right. decides how many cards he's going to draw because he's going to draw cards. It's going to happen. <laughs> uh, anything else to add to that? Uh, what's been transpiring there before we move on to a couple questions that we have, or at I, least one of them. Do, do y'all want to talk about my new character? Because I'm actually really, this would sure. be really interesting and fun. Um, so yeah, right after Joe picked up this deck, I'm like, this is the end of our game. And I'm like, okay, we're all going to die next session. I clearly need a new character, and I'm going to make a character that's just terrible. That a character that will make my DM's job worse because they've <laughs> tormented me with this deck of many things and destroyed this character that I built this whole backstory for. And if this happens, they should suffer. This this was my thinking immediately after our last episode. And uh yeah, so y'all enjoy that. But that was my initial thinking. Uh, but it started to migrate away from that pretty quickly into a character idea that could be interesting. Because I gave, uh, one of the things was I gave my my character, she has like a family. And they're all spread out in different ways. And she thinks probably most of them are dead. And I was like, well, what if, what if one of them isn't dead? And one, one of them was in this dragon attack that we thought killed everyone up there. And what if after this attack, she made some kind of warlock pact and is like now out for revenge? She's like a young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the concept. And it's it's a stupid character. Like I made a character sheet and everything. And my initial idea about this family was that she was a druid. And so it's like a a druid slash warlock. So she kind of took a change in direction when she, uh, like after her town was destroyed. And it's actually probably not a DM's bane. It's a weird character combination that may not actually work. But hey, if you if you kill me, you are going to have to deal with this. I mean, if, <laughs> if y'all are cool with this character concept. I mean, I'm so instantaneously I'm just, already in love with this. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, 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 I I pretty much am whatever you want to do. I'll figure out a way for it to happen. So, uh, so yeah, I've never I've never heard of a druid slash warlock before. This isn't a natural combination. But like as I started thinking about it, I'm like, this is weird and also fun. So the I kind of love it. There's an interesting thing about that. Actually, it does make sense. Uh, warlocks aren't necessarily always infernal. You can actually mm -hmm. be tied to an archfey. That exists in the Fey Wilds, which has yes, ties yes. to druidry. There's a lot of ways you can make that work that are just like really ridiculously flavorful. So it's like uh, it's really nifty. Like, and that's one thing. Like, and then we can. I don't know if we're gonna have time for questions after this. Um, <laughs> I always loved warlocks, but I like warlocks now that they've broadened what the pact can be with. Because before it was, it had to be an eldritch god or something along those lines, but. You can be a warlock of a god. You can be a warlock of a bog standard god. 
Uh, you can be a warlock of an archfey. You can be a warlock of any powerful being that deigns to give you a portion of its power, which really opens it up to customize your character. So you could be a druid that decides, nah, that ain't it. I need Eldritch Blast now and going at Eldritch <laughs> Blast uh, and be tied perfectly thematically. You could you could serve the god Sylvanas, which is an actual god. This is not a Warcraft thing. Uh, Sylvanas is a druid god. Um, but like there, there is a ton of really cool nifty things that you could do with it. So I'm, I'm here for it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, I was actually looking, I was going through patrons and I was like, I'm going to be a Hexblade warlock because those are nightmares. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, no, that doesn't really make sense. That, and I thought about an undying patron warlock who had made a pact with like an ancient dragon ghost or something, because there's a whole dragon theme going on with this, this area. And Undying is actually, I don't know that undying is all that powerful, but it's really like it's very flavorful because you're making this pact with kind of an undead entity. Um, And of course, uh, Matt mentioned Laudna earlier from Critical Role. That is the uh, her warlock pact. And she's always doing this. uh, What's it called? The form of dread Mm -hmm. where she just change. You can just change into this dreadful visage. And just scare the heck out of everyone around you. And it's always hilarious when she does it. But it's like a terrifying idea. Uh, And this whole thing is like totally different from the character I'm playing now. Who is like old and wise and very, very thoughtful about her actions. This would be someone who is young and angry. And really wants to solve this problem by killing everyone who has wronged her and her family. So it would be a totally different trajectory and I'm I'm kind of here for it and here for it being on a roll of the dice and just like, okay, maybe this happens, maybe this doesn't happen. But yeah, it's kind of, it's like this cool idea that just emerges as a possibility based on all of the other things happening in the game and not necessarily like going in and thinking, I'm going to create this really powerful character, even though that's sort of how I started. It's like going in and like thinking about the story and thinking about, okay, this could be an interesting thing to do and pull it in based on the other things in the story. Which I guess that's going to lead into uh, the, the one of the questions we got. And I, I kind of want to throw it in there because it's, it's this seems like a perfect fit. Uh, and it's from Tetsemi who asks, when you're, when you're world building or creating a character to play, what methodology do you use to come up with your names? And I mean, Liz, since you were just talking about creating your character, do you do you have a methodology or something that you use to pick your character names? Because your your character names are usually like spot on, at least yeah, from what I've um, seen. I mean, I usually go to like, you know, baby name sites and just kind of scroll around until I find something that just sort of sounds right and feels right, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And uh like in this case, I kind of built out my character's name is Ishra, and her daughter's name is, I believe, Riva. And Riva is this kind of second character concept that I'm thinking about. And um, like I find the first name that I like, and I just sort of go and scroll around until I find something I like. And then usually, like in this case, I branched out and looked at, okay, what are names from that kind of same background or that same language or same ethnicity and kind of you know, I look for something that's similar and that kind of sounds right in that vein. But yeah, it's really baby name sites because there are things with like tons, there are sites with tons of names. And you can just say, okay, I want kind of an I name or an ish name. 
and just kind of go from there and search. So uh, yeah, baby names, D&D character names, not that far apart on the chart. That's totally fair. Um, Matt, what about you? I make them up. Yes. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's a good strategy. Uh, I just generally, I sit down and think about a name. Uh, it depends to one setting. Um, for example, in the setting that you guys didn't really get to explore too much. Uh, in fact, you never actually went to it, but that's connected on the same world as the, uh, the Riaton setting. There's a pseudo Roman empire. And so the characters from that place tend to have names that sound like Roman people. Mm-hmm. Um, like one character is uh, one of the characters that I've actually played before. And, and I, I'm even written a few, a couple of short stories with her. Uh, is named Gerantan uh, Scythianus. And Scythianus is her family name. Gerantan is her, your given name and like the gens and the so forth. And she called, she, her, no one calls her Gerantan. Her name, they call her Gera. Uh, but that like, or another example was my barbarian that I was playing for a long time. Her name is technically Ristana Ok Kaltjarn. Uh, Kaltjarn's her mother. Uh, Ristana is her name, and Ok is the the sound that it's like Mick or App. It's the sound saying "daughter of" in this case. Uh, Ristana is like a it's semi Icelandic, and I I basically just shortened it to Rista in day to day use. But her full name is Ristana, and it, it kind of means giant hearted. Uh, but it's it's you know I I went I, I I will say that I one of the things I do like to do is I go to Google Translate. And I will pick another language mm-hmm. and I will translate a word or a, like, like a phrase into that language. And then like, I'll look at it and go, okay, this is a little too unwieldy. So I'll just chop it down. And that's something I do a lot. Like, so I, I, I have some character names that are, like I said, are Icelandic or Norwegian or Scandinavian in some way. Sometimes I'll, I'll use Latin. Sometimes I'll use something else. Um, but it's, it's generally so that the name actually has a meaning. Like, because a lot of what people don't really think about all that much is that your actual name can have a meaning. Um, For instance, uh, William is derived from Wilhelm, which is derived literally from Helm of Will. Uh, My name is Matthew. Matthew means gift of God in Hebrew. Uh, So if you start thinking about the fact that most names have meanings, then it it makes it easier for me to just, I come up with a word or a name, a phrase that it, that to me encapsulates that character, then I, I just mess around with different languages until I find one that's close enough. And then I just change it enough so that it sounds fantasy-ish uh, instead of just being there. But that's those, that's one way I do it. Sometimes I literally just make up a noise. Uh, like I have one character. I, I remember like a character I had who had like seven Ks in his name. <laughs> so sometimes I seriously, like, I think it was uh, like, yeah, it was K-K-N-A-T-A-K was his name. That was his name, and it means the accursed one. So, and I played that guy for like two years, um, and so I have to come kind of constantly going Narathak, and everyone's like, "Yeah, oh God, just call him Narath." So, yeah, that that's how I do it. I'm somewhere similar. So, like the the baby name generator is it, that's an old faithful, like going through and seeing like what the most popular names are and things like that, and then and doing like a hunting and finding something that feels right or sees right, and doing the translation to another language. These are all things that I have absolutely 100% done. Nowadays, I do a little bit more of, I try to figure out what purpose is for the character. Uh, because like Matt pointed out, a lot of names historically are are derived from 
what they did or what their purpose was or, you know, being like son of daughter of, or, or things like that or heir of. And so I kind of think, what would this person in this position be? If it's a tavern keeper, is there, is it a line of tavern keepers? Is it something that the family opened up at the founding? Uh, you know, is it, you know, Kegel's son or something or Keg's son or something like that? Is it whatever the case is and kind of work, kind of work it out so that it makes sense. My character's name for our game is Delver. It's Delver because not that, I thought it was a cool name, but it's what his character does with story. He's a bard. His entire purpose is gather story, dive into a situation, record the story, bring it back so that others can hear it. He delves into the story of it. Um, Matt's is repentance. It is a, it is, it's a paladin, uh, but it, it's a very offensive paladin. So repentance fits uh very similar to like how tieflings sort of have like uh Anne was playing mischief uh and then ran into uh that's another one you should probably listen to uh to understand the the whole tangled spaghetti that is Anne's mother in that game uh but there's caution and and like all sorts of really cool stuff like that that that's where i kind of go like what is the purpose of the character and then work backwards from that um in the game that I'm currently doing on Sundays uh, for Wayward Revelry, it, my character's name is Elifor. Uh, it is, literally was derived from one who studies, and I forgot what language I like backwards moved this from. Um, but it was literally that's what it was because he's a nerd. That's that's his entire character concept. He's a, he's he's an owl nerd, um, and it just kind of fit. So that's that's where I am at right now, and I do the same thing with my NPCs a lot. To like when I might come up with names on the uh, in there, it's either NPCs that existed that somebody else already named for me, uh, because I do let players decide stuff like that, and I I love using that, uh, or I try to work back from purpose. So, uh, yeah, anything else to add on that one? No, I think I pretty much covered it for myself. Liz, no. Okay, so that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Tavern Watch. Again, if you have questions for us that you want us to go through or topics you want to cover, uh, feel free to send them in. You can send them in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com or through one of our various channels in our Discord server. If you're a Patreon supporter, you do get first billing. Uh, you can get that to our Patreon uh, podcast and Q questions channel. And if you can't uh, support us on Patreon, we understand, but we do have a uh, Q and podcast questions channel that you can also toss them into. Just specify what show it's for. And as a reminder, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast slating community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, do we have anything coming up that we need to plug, Liz? Uh, well, we should be playing our next Weir's game this coming Saturday. I believe we put that on the schedule, which means we may find out what happens with that deck of many things very soon. Mm-hmm. That'll be that'll be April 9th, I believe, we're the, is the next coming one, right? Yep. Yes. So yes, as of indeed. as of the time of this recording, be sure to join us, and you can find us on twitch.tv slash blizzardwatch. Uh, anything else we need to plug? Well, we'll be, we'll be doing a you know Wildland the Witchlight game at the, within this month as well. Yeah. Uh, yes. Right now that is scheduled for the sixteenth, and we'll we'll see how that one goes. 
where we are we are way beyond where we thought we were going to be it is going to be fun uh be sure to stop by and tune in for those uh and again folks thank you very much for your continued support we'll catch you next time bye